everybody. Welcome to Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Miracatani. David Miracatani is on the phone joining you from St. Louis. And I'm Andy Hamilton coming to you from the bubbly banks of the Birdsall Park Pond in Cedar Falls, Iowa. David, the last thing that I do every Monday night is before I go to bed, I put together the Track Wrestling Weekly newsletter uh, that goes out on Tuesdays. And and I wrap that thing up at around 1 o'clock. And uh, I hear this commotion outside. We just moved into a new neighborhood. hear this commotion outside. I look outside my living room window, and there are a bunch of kids over in the rock pile. We've got a rock pile and waterfall that comes out of it. Um, right next door as you come into our development. And here is like a five-foot-tall wall of bubbles that stretched 50 feet out across the street. That um, Those kids who were hanging out over there put uh, dish soap out there and, and basically <laughs> flooded, flooded the street out here. And uh, there's a car that pulled up and uh, had to come to a stop until the bubbles subsided. So... Um, so anyway, that's what went on in my neighborhood. How about yours? What's going on down well, there? Well, I was I was in Tulsa for the weekend, and and many thanks to Kevin Crutchmore for the hosp- hospitality. And then I went to Stillwater on Sunday and interviewed John Smith for for track. And Sunday night, I stayed uh, with Coach Guerrero, and um, I was on the phone late talking to somebody back home, and literally I witnessed a one car car accident right in front of. Eric's house. I'm, I'm giggling because everybody's okay, but literally the guy, I found out later, he fell asleep, slammed on the brakes. There's about a 35-foot skid mark in the middle of the road, um, and he made friends with the curb right in front of, of Eric's neighborhood. So it was uh, it's probably the opposite of clean, opposite of bubbles, but it was, you know, I was on the phone and kind of went holy hell to the person on the phone I was with. So, um Probably not as as fun as what you saw, but it was a little crazy kind of watching this car, you know, peel out and do a U-turn in the middle of the road at about 1030 at night. So kind of crazy. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. As you mentioned, you were at the Junior Duels, and uh, we had that on track wrestling last weekend. And and the action uh, in the final rounds, especially of that tournament, was unbelievable. It was so entertaining. David, what did you learn during your time in Tulsa? I love junior duels. I love them more. You know, I haven't gone in a couple of years. I loved going and recruiting it, and I loved being back there for you guys. Um, I think there's just a cool camaraderie about it. You know, like the guys sit together. Uh, you know, they. You know, you like you're watching your buddy wrestle. Like if you're the weight class above or below me, you know, you're watching him wrestle. I'm not like, okay, well, Andy's out on mat. 13 in Fargo and I just got to be in the back getting ready. I mean, it's, and the team scores are, you know, they, you know, you kind of think you have it mapped out and it's just, you know, it's a different scoring system. And, you know, you see these coaches like, you know, I'm down eight, nothing. And they point like, you've got to get one point. And, you know, kid gets one point and the whole team goes crazy. And, you know, I'm sure we'll dig into some of the individual results, but it was just, it was really cool. Oklahoma just ran the table early, and, you know, the crowd was going nuts, and Ohio was sneaky good. Uh, Illinois was Illinois, although Illinois and, and Ohio had an unbelievable duel in the semis where it came down to the last match. And then I think the surprise team of the tournament, 
had to be Minnesota, and I know we're going to talk about them, but they won that thing without Brady Berge, without Gable Stevenson, and without their 113-pounder, whose name I can't think of right now, but he's a top five Aaron kid Cashman. in the country. Yeah, Cashman. So those three, I mean, and everybody leaves some kids at home. So it's, I'm not, you know, it's kind of like at the end of the year when you're coaching in college, you know, well, so-and-so is healthy. Well, nobody's healthy, you know, after five months of wrestling. But they left behind three legit, legit dudes and still won that tournament. So, and uh, doing the interviews were really fun. I thought Jake Aller was, you know, really good, really honest. Dayton Fix, uh, if for some reason, you know, when he retires, he's got, uh, a job as a professional corner man telling guys off and uh it was just it was just fun you know you know listening to some of the guys like guys like Hardell Moore that had a bunch of his kids wrestling in that event it was just it's a neat it's a neat thing if you're a kind of a junkie and like dub wrestling and like to watch really young talent it's a really it's a cool environment for sure absolutely and we had some some unbelievable action in those matches, and, and we'll get into uh, uh, the Jake Aller Zach Bronigal match, fifteen uh, fourteen. One of the uh, tipping points in that dual meet between Minnesota and Illinois in the finals. But uh, just to give a quick rundown of the gold silver pool, Minnesota Blue in freestyle. Minnesota Blue takes home the title with a thirty three thirty one win over Illinois in the finals. Ohio. Uh, beat o- the Oklahoma Outlaws red team 40 to 23 for third. Michigan Blue beat New Jersey 37 27 for fifth. And Iowa Red defeated Missouri 40 to 32 for seventh. Uh, men- uh, in Greco, Illinois, I don't have all the uh, Greco results in front of me right this second, but Illinois beat Minnesota in uh, the Greco finals. Uh, so those two teams, if you want to rewind it back to uh, the cadet duels, those those two teams, Illinois and Minnesota, met in the finals of every style uh, at both the cadet and junior levels the last two weekends. I think that speaks volumes, uh, yeah. uh, A, to, A, to uh, what those club, um, what those states have going from a club standpoint. I think uh, you can look in, in the clubs in both states are really strong. We mentioned Pinnacle um, up in Minnesota with Brandon Paulson and, and Jared Lawrence, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I know we, we talked about those guys and what they've got going on up there. Just a slew of those Minnesota kids through the middle where they got on such a good run against, uh, Illinois in the freestyle finals. Those are a bunch of pinnacle kids right through the middle there. And I, I think it also speaks to the, the, uh, you know, how much pride that they have in their states, the state programs, what they've got going on, because you don't, you don't see that in, in all the other states. Now, uh, I think it, I think it'd be really cool if if all the states had as much pride in in um, you know putting together uh, their absolute best teams as possible. And, and as you mentioned, you know Minnesota's a little short-handed, but uh, still they brought some they brought some hammers with with them uh, from top to bottom. Um, you know, on that team, a lot of a lot of guys that we're going to see at the next level. I mean, he's talking about uh, just going down the line: Tyler Eichens, uh, Jake Berglund. Um, Alex Crow, Jake Aller, um, uh, Alex Lloyd, who's going to South Dakota State, uh, Daniel Kirkfleet uh, going to, to Minnesota. Uh, I could go on and on about the talent in that. Um, that the key little brother right. was on Peyton, that team too. Yeah. yeah, Peyton Rob, Peyton Rob going to South Dakota State. Just uh, really impressive lineup from top to bottom, and and 
boy, they got on a roll in that final duel. Um, what did they take? The first eight matches, I think. Yeah, it was such a crazy duel because it looked like, okay, they've got this on lock. And then it just went the other way. And, you know, I think, you know, you and I were texting, I think at some point, you know, make sure we don't forget. We have to talk about Cameron Caffey. I mean, you know, but just Illinois guys, Illinois so deep. I mean, that's what's, you know, that's what's kind of scary. I think Minnesota, we obviously, they missed three kids, but, those kids had to wrestle a lot more matches. In Illinois, you know, they had guys who were kind of split in time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like I'm looking at the, the undefeated guys, the all-undefeated team, and there's a ton of Minnesota and Illinois just sprinkled throughout here. So uh, it's just it was really fun to watch. And, you know, I think I'm more of a casual fan of cadets, and I start following them more in juniors, obviously looking to – see where I'm going to put kids in rankings and things like that. But there's just a ton of super talented kids that are wrestling. And, and the level of wrestling and the level of uh, tactics at that, at that age is really, really incredible to watch. You mentioned Minnesota being without some guys, Illinois as well. I mean, Jacob Warner wasn't there. Austin Gomez wasn't there. Justin Renneria. Um, so, Austin so O'Connor, there's right? Yeah. Yep. There were some hammers that uh, from from Team Illinois that weren't there as well. But but as you mentioned, the depth so strong top to bottom that uh, you know you can take guys like that out of your lineup and still be right there to to possibly win a championship. I mean, the thing is, you, you mentioned the scoring system in this, David. Uh, Minnesota takes the first eight matches, and yet Illinois had seven points on the board. They they scored in seven of those eight matches, which came up. Uh, you know that ended up being uh, really pivotal in the end when when uh, it's coming down the wire because Illinois rips off what what they get one two three four four in a row to get right back in it and they still had some uh, studs at the back end so uh, the the real uh, big match in that sequence that that we kind of touched upon um, Aller and Bronigal. Uh, David, you had a, a mat side seat for that. It was 15-14. Jake, yeah. Jake Aller yeah. ended up winning that match. But uh, in, for the for our listeners that want to go back and watch it, that match is up on track wrestling. If you want to go check it out, uh, and I they encourage should. you to do so. They should watch that yeah. match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. But, uh, just give a quick recap of what, what you saw down there. Well, it was interesting because I actually grabbed quick lunch right before that, and I was sitting with Bronigal's dad. And he's like, man, I really hope they put him in the lineup this round. So, Bronicle kind of jumped out to a lead. And then there was a scramble on the edge of the mat. And I think Bronicle did go out of bounds. And then Aller hit him in kind of like a little head with I mean, on his knees. And he kind of hit him like in a little mini headlock for four. And they thought it was four. But, you know, it got white paddled. And they didn't challenge it. Which was interesting. I think that was the right call. I think the challenge would have would have been denied, and then you wouldn't have your brick anymore. But that comes into play later because Aller's playing catch up, playing catch up, gets a takedown. It kind of goes right into a lace, and you could argue it was kind of continuous. But that's when Minnesota did throw the brick, and they only gave two originally, and they ended up giving two and two for the lace, which, again, I think was the right call. Uh, Aller ties it up, or almost ties it up, and then Bronigal steps over him 
I mean, just going, it's like Allard almost catches him and just keeps going back and forth. And finally, Allard's on top of him, gets a takedown. It's 14 to 10. Allard gets a takedown somewhere with 15 to 20 seconds, maybe 15 to 10 seconds, somewhere in there. And Bronigal covers the hands while Allard's trying to hit a gut. And they, they verbally warn him, and he doesn't let go, and they verbally warn him. And then right when he kind of simultaneously, when he lets go, they go caution in two. And that makes it 14-14. And literally, they each had seven twos. So it came down to the last point of caution. You know, Illinois challenged it. They reviewed it for a long time. Uh, they they went with the original call. So the final score of the match became 15-14 instead of 14-14. But it was, a, you know, Illinois had to challenge. They had nothing to lose because the time literally was off the clock. So I actually talked to Sammy Julian, who, you know, might be the best referee we have in America, and he was on the review board. And I said to him, I go, is that the right call? And I didn't actually realize he was on the review board. He goes, well, yeah, I'm on the review board. I'm like, okay, why is that the right call? And he said, they didn't even have to warn him twice, that they warn you once, and if you don't immediately release the defensive hold, the call is caution in two. And he goes, you know, we're very much indoctrinated to folk style where stall calls are slower and they don't have they don't count for as many points. And he goes, but it was the right call. He goes, by the letter of the law, it was absolutely the right call. It was absolutely an unpopular call, but it was the right one. So I'm actually been in touch with Sammy. I'm going to try to get him on match chat in the next week or two. I actually think a lot of us are just watching freestyle and Greco the right way. A wrong way, excuse me, from a rules perspective. And I really just kind of want him to educate. I mean, me, and then I think if I don't fully understand it, I'm guessing a few other people may not understand it as well, and really just try to understand things better. So uh, it was a crazy match, though. And and uh, Allard, you know, talked to us afterwards, and he said he kind of just hung out for a couple of weeks and not done a lot of training. And he, that kid just dug deep and found a way to win. And I don't think Brunagle did anything to hurt his. Uh, his stock, I think, you know, if anything, you know, he showed he can go with one of the best kids in the country. So a couple other big uh, turning points in that match, pivotal matches in that, in that duel, or, or at least uh, highlight bouts in that duel. 126 pounds, Jake Galeva beat Joey Melendez 7-4 uh, for a win for Minnesota. And also Alex Lloyd mentioned he's going to South Dakota State. He teched. North Carolina-bound Jamie Hernandez, 11-0 uh, during that early avalanche from yeah. Minnesota. You mentioned Cam- Cameron Caffey, Illinois, 12-0 tech over Brandon Mullen at 182 pounds. And Jack Jessen moves up to 195 and wipes out Daniel Kirkfleet, 10-0 there. So uh, that was when Illinois started to get back in it. Uh, in the end, Paxton Crease of, of Minnesota at 100 pounds pretty much put it away with a 10-0 tech there over Austin Nash. But, uh, uh, David, Cameron Caffey was a guy that caught your eye um, probably about two months ago up here, uh, actually early April, first weekend of April, last weekend of March, uh, just down the street from me here at the Uni Dome. Um, Folk Style Nationals, that was a guy that really surfaced that weekend that uh, I learned a lot about that weekend. And, and uh Sort of a guy that popped on some some radars late, and uh, he is headed to Michigan State. But uh, you were you were thoroughly impressed by what you saw from Cameron Caffey this weekend. 
Yeah, this weekend, and and you and that you and I, but I saw him wrestle in our East-West All-Metro meet, the one that was literally the day before or two days before Border Brawl. And I coached against him. And I texted you that night. I'm like, there is a kid who is a freak on this Illinois team. And he reminded me a lot of Le'Veon Mays. Like, he was under the radar. And the same thing when I was coached. I coached against Mays when he was a senior in high school in that same meet. And I think some of these kids in the St. Louis, Illinois area, they don't, they don't travel a lot in the summer. I don't, I don't know whatever reason that is. You know, I mean, there's always a lot of reasons. I don't want to get into it, but they don't travel. So if you don't travel, the only thing they really have to go off of is your state tournament. And unless you beat somebody of national note, people just kind of assume you're not that good. That guy's going to be really good. He is a man among boys. He's a little like Norfleet. I mean, just, just talented. And I mean, he made a big difference for that duel, even though it didn't, didn't end up helping him because, you know, Jessen moved up and then they moved Brucky up. And so, you know, then, and not only did those guys move up, but he and Jessen went 12 O's, you know, so it was four O's. 12 O's, 10 O's, yep, yep. Yeah, but 10 O's, sorry. But I mean, they tech ball with no points against. So big, big, you know, big team point swing there. So, He's going to be really good. I remember texting you, and you're like, "Hey, he's going to Michigan State." I'm like, "Wow, that's good for those guys, you know." And you know, he's that's a program where he won't get lost in the shuffle, you know, where they they're not just overflowing with talent. I think he's a guy that if they take the time to develop him, could be really special. And I think, you know, I would say only. I think he only won one state title. I think he's the kind of guy that people look back on and go, man, oh, man, that guy, you know, really exceeded a lot of expectations. And and there was another match in that duel that was kind of crazy. Uh, Jack Punky wrestled uh, Patrick McKee, and he got up early on him. And McKee wrestles a lot like his older brother, where he, he ended up winning by a lot and never shot the whole match. Like, he just kept chest wrapping. uh Jack Punky. So, I mean, it was just, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, tactically, I almost thought, well, if Punky stops shooting, maybe they'll put McKee on the clock, but that never happened. And, and you know, when you have to start chasing points against a really good defensive wrestler, it becomes even harder to come back. Uh, yeah, that that was, uh, you know, going back to that duel from start to finish, though. I mean, it was, it was one of those where you're kind of on the edge of your seat the whole time because you knew it could be uh, – down to the final match, and we we saw that uh, right before that with the Illinois and Ohio, as you mentioned, another two point duel, thirty two thirty that Illinois prevailed there. Uh, Dylan Ragason uh, came through with a tech in the last match, uh, kind of winner take all, one hundred six pound bout there uh, for Illinois to put Illinois over the top. But uh, man, there were there were some really fun matches throughout the weekend. <laughs> Particularly on Saturday. I mean, you you look and even rewind. You know, we haven't talked about Greco uh, yet, but uh, there was a, a. And if you get the chance, go back and watch this. Sixty-eight points in a junior duels Greco bout. I, Tyler I saw Murphy, that on track. <laughs> yeah, Tyler Murphy of Iowa and Florida Stephen Villalobos put up sixty-eight in a Greco shootout. I mean, I, th- I think it was like. I think it was like 34-31 or 34 or 35-33 was the final. And that thing uh, at the end of the first period, um, I, w- I want to say there were almost uh, almost 40 points at the end of the first period in that thing. So uh, 
you know, that, that was certainly one to watch. There were, um, you know, we got another one up there, Christian Goen of Illinois down 9-0 uh, against Florida's Jacob Cochran at 100 pounds in, in junior Greco. Uh, comes back and wins. Um, so that was the, that was the biggest uh, comeback at day one. Um, also, uh, Alex Kramer of Illinois um, he was down 11-3 against Ohio State recruit Jaden Maddox. In that Illinois-Ohio duel, that 32-30 duel, Kramer was down 11-3 at, uh, after the break and comes back and uh, I think he won it 15-11, to and there was just a ton of action in that match. That's the thing that that I love about freestyle is you know eleven to three in a folk style match is almost a death sentence, and, yeah. and for the most part it, it it is in freestyle, but but your odds of um, your odds of coming back from a, a deficit like that are so much higher in freestyle and Greco, um, and and we see it we see it uh, you know not not uh, all the time but uh, semi regularly you know you'll see stuff like this happen which makes freestyle in my opinion really cool i think it's uh you know for for me the most entertaining form of wrestling and it's directly correlated forget the exposure rules that are different and obviously they are it's directly correlated to if you get behind you just get a takedown you act busy for 10 seconds they bring you back up it's not two for one it's two for zero and i mean that, that that's why it's so much easier to make points up you know, I mean, 11-3, I mean, Lord only knows you're going to get seven takedowns, you know, without backs. You know, 11-3 in freestyle is four takedowns. That's a huge difference. So, and because the caution and twos are there and the push-outs are there where, you know, that's a gigantic difference too, right? Like I can sort of play the edge on the mat in, in bulk style and maybe, you know, maybe get something, maybe not. It just, yeah, it's super fun. Like you said, they're never out of it. And then the coaches are smart and the kids are so smart, they're like, if I am losing by a bunch to you, like, look, you've got to get a point. We just got to get a point out of this. So it's, you know, 4-1, uh, you know, instead of 4-0 in the team score. So it makes it really interesting. And the other thing that's kind of crazy is they kept changing the starting weight of the duel during the first day. And so for the second day, you're like, okay, where are they starting this thing? And then you're kind of looking at the rosters and like, okay, you know, they're going to come back on the back end. And at one point I thought, Minnesota had it wrapped up, and I'm like, and then a buddy of mine goes, no, no, they still got those weights on the back end, those 100 and 106. And they're like, look, it's going to be hard for Chris to lose, but, you know, if they could beat him, they're going to win 106. And obviously you described it right where they split those two matches. But it was it was a barn burner. Those kids from Minnesota went crazy, and it was, you know, super cool to, you know, to watch. Unless you're rooting for one of those teams, it was just if you're just a fan, it was really fun. Any other prospects down there catch your attention? Yeah, I think there's a lot of kids that, you know, there's a lot of guys, I think, especially if you're kind of recruiting, you're not, you know, the top five kids, top five schools in the country. I think there's a lot of guys there that, uh, I mean, I think Drew Matten or Sammy Sasso got beat, right? So, I mean, that's, you know, that's a big win. Uh, yeah, he was up uh, 6-0 in that match and kind of got uh, hit with a cement mixer, ventriloquist, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, and he got stuck. Uh, that, that match is on track wrestling as well. But, uh, you know, in in control of things, and all of a sudden, uh, bam, he's on his back and, and in trouble. But uh, uh, certainly there was there was a ton of top talent in that tournament this weekend. 
Yeah, the third place match had Mitch Moore uh, go against Gefeller, and that was it was a boring match. It was one one, and it was just Gefeller won because he got the last point, you know, on the shot clock stuff. And that's all it was. They just got caution to one. The, and things got a little chippy afterwards, but I think it kind of shows you that those kids will probably both be pretty good and in college. Um, yeah, there's just, a, it's kind of hard to follow things. And, you know, my role there is to kind of interview, you know, the right guys. So you kind of just stay near the front side of the bracket and, you know, the, you know, the top seeded teams, but, um, you know, there are a lot of upsets and, you know, like, you know, obviously I have, I have some connection to the Missouri kids. And a lot of those kids, they had some injuries and a lot of kids wrestling up a weight and, uh, you know, those guys really pulled together. Well, I mean, they, were far and away from their best strength and managed to make the top eight. So as a Missouri guy, I'm, you know, I was proud of those guys. And, you know, it's just such a cool event to watch. And, you know, you can, you can find the mats. It's pretty easy. And, you know, you just can kind of park yourself and, um, you know, you can literally be 15 feet from the mat. I mean, I was literally leaning on the stage of the main mat and part of it was, I was with track, but I mean, I got to, you know, you're like four feet away from the edge of the mat. It was really fun to watch. I tell you what, Oklahoma, they did not win the tournament. They finished fourth, but uh, in, in terms of names, yeah, Oklahoma yeah. was a far and away the, the the top team in terms of names on that roster. I mean, Stud Morris at 106 yeah. pounds, Jet Taylor at 126, Brick <laughs> Filippo at yeah. 145, Bear Juice at 220. I mean, you're not going to find four better names than – than those guys. Montana Phillips at heavyweight. I mean, just top to bottom. <laughs> Oklahoma bringing it from a name standpoint. Yeah, two of those guys were in brawl. So, yeah, I, the Rick, Rick Filippo and Chet Taylor. And, yeah, and Chet's got that hair that I'm sure will get cut when he gets on the Stillwater campus. But, yeah. Uh, yes, they win the name game for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to hear from Junior Duels or you want to move on to uh, something else here? Well, we can talk a little bit about those guys that transferred, right? You know, Dalton Macri goes to North Carolina, and Madrigal transfers to Oklahoma. I mean, those are guys that could have an impact on those teams, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, situation for uh, Macri, you know, to move down there and roll around with Tony Ramos, Coleman Scott, and company down there, uh, you know, leaving Cornell where um, there was some depth there. Cornell um, had some guys at, at 25 that, uh, uh, you know, certainly not going to be a crushing blow for Cornell to, to lose him. But, uh, um, you know, Madrigal, uh, a good gift for, for Oklahoma to land him, land a verbal commitment from him. Uh, so uh, Lou Rosselli continues to, uh, to, continues to recruit well. So, the, so a couple uh, lightweight guys on the move. Uh, Madrigal, uh, a guy that uh, uh, finished third at the Ironman last year, um, gave Spencer Lee, uh, you know, gave him a go in in that tournament, and he's uh, he's got a pretty good resume as well. So uh, mentioned good get for for Oklahoma there. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the first thing when I read about Madrigal was there's another kid not staying in Illinois, right? I mean, he just talked about that. Um, you know, Macri, I, I thought identically what you thought about him rolling with those guys plus Kindig down there. And uh, and Cornell had Noah Boffman there at 25, and he didn't get into the tournament last year, but there's probably the biggest slight 
he pinned Piccinini during the season. I mean, it was a neutral fall, but still a huge win in Stillwater. So he had some other good wins besides that. So it, it seems like that's kind of a win-win. You get a guy who's, you know, good to another spot where they're not good. And then, you know, I think both kids will probably flourish. So, I mean, those are, those are my thoughts, like I said. You know, and you and I have talked about this. You, you're you're big on the Roselli train, and I am as well. I think they're going to continue to build, and there was a lot of discussion about OU and Roselli in Tulsa over the weekend, for sure. Well, we got some other stuff going on on track wrestling this week. The uh, junior, junior European Championships going on right now. David, you had a chance to catch up with John Smith, uh, Matt chat with him. You also uh, have one that's up now with Randy Couture. What are some of the highlights that uh, came away from those two interviews? Interviewing Randy was really fun and a little weird just because we're really, really pretty good friends. So, you know, kind of just want to make sure, you know, it doesn't digress and the two guys, you know, sitting around watching a game talking. One of the crazy things, I think, was, you know, I, he only won one state title, which is interesting. Uh, and, you know, his path where he went to the military first and then came – he went to Washington State, but they cut the program, so his clock stopped. And he came out with eligibility. And he was a 25-year-old freshman at Oklahoma State with two kids. And there were – you know, Oklahoma State's not traditionally a Greco program at all. And he said one of his mentors was Kenny Monday, and he was telling the story about how him and Kenny would wrestle matches with each other. And one day, Kenny beat him in a Greco match, and then he turned around and beat Kenny in a freestyle match. And his reaction and, you know, retelling of that is is probably worth listening to alone. He's just really a cerebral guy, and he's got a very interesting viewpoint on the McGregor Mayweather fight because people forget he fought James Tony in MMA in the UFC several years ago, and so you know obviously they they went by MMA rules and not boxing rules, but he's one of the few guys that actually understands that. So he, he's a super humble guy, and then you know John Smith was awesome. You know, just let me set up the tripod and shoot it in his office, and nothing was off limits. I mean, one of the new pieces of news he broke was that there's not going to be national duels this year. And, uh, you know, he doesn't, he's not happy about that, but, you know, it's like, we know we got to figure out the right way to do it. Uh, really just his thoughts on, you know, I started out with asking him about, you know, the state of USA wrestling, you know, from a global point of view. Um, I got his opinions on whether or not he thinks wrestling collegiate, and folk style versus, you know, the guys that are in freestyle, what his thoughts are on that. Uh, his viewpoint of, like, what Jaden Cox and Kyle Snyder had to go through, you know, where they meddled and then had to come back and compete because he did the same thing, albeit it was in a world championship, not an Olympic championship. He said something super unique that I – every one of these guys always answers one question in a way I never thought they would answer. He said he actually believes his world medals – are more valuable or were harder for him because there's more guys that wrestle in the world championships than the Olympics that you have to qualify for the Olympics. And that's obviously going to be even less spots with the new changes. And he said, you know, there's guys that make the world tournament. They aren't going to win it, but they have the ability just to screw you up. You know, they're a bad matchup for you. And he goes, so I've always thought winning the world championships were harder. 
And so I thought that was really a unique perspective from a guy that's obviously qualified to have that perspective. So, and, you know, he talked about his philosophy on coaching, how long he's going to coach, coaching his son. We covered a lot of subjects. It was, it was cool, a little nerve wracking, but um, I was behind the camera. So after a while, it just felt like doing it on the phone. And uh, it, John Smith's a great guy and unbelievably smart guy, huge ambassador for wrestling. And um, you know, I just want to publicly thank him, thank him for giving me so much time and giving us so much time for track wrestling. Well, that's awesome. You can check that out on Track Wrestling coming up on Friday. Uh, also, interviews up from the Gable Golf Outing, the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum Golf Outing last weekend on Hall of Fame. Uh, weekend for the museum, I was up in Waverly at the Golf Outing, caught up with two-time NCAA champion, 1999 world champion, and three-time Super Bowl champion Stephen Neal. Really fun interview with him. And also uh, caught up with Iowa State coach Kevin Dresser and Purdue coach Tony Ursland. They were both there. Uh, fun day up there. Lots of fun uh, playing golf up there in that deal. Um, you know, Mark Who can Ironside actually play golf out of all those guys? Who's, who's actually a, a uh, well, out of all those guys? I'm going to tell you this. We got third. <laughs> we were ahead of uh, – my, my group was ahead of Ursland and Dresser and company. So uh, – does that mean uh, you're actually the, better or more foot wedges? That's what I need to know. I I <laughs> tell you what, I had I had some uh, we we had some ringers on our team. We had some guys that could we could play some golf. And uh, who was your squad? We, we, Anybody I know? Uh, Ironside, Mark Ironside was on my group. He would be the one that you would know. Um, okay. But uh, uh, we we joked around. Ironside had to leave at the turn, and I think we were like four under at the turn. <laughs> And yeah. uh, finished 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 twelve under. So once we got rid of Ironside, <laughs> we we started playing a lot better. Dead but, weight. Uh, no, no, we 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 had a, we had a lot of fun. We had a fun group, fun group of guys, and and some guys that uh, you know we had some really good players in that group, and also some guys that just picked each other up when we we uh, you know somebody always came through in the clutch on that. Nice. Which, uh, finished finished a couple shots back, uh, but it, but a lot of fun and. Uh, so it was great having the opportunity to talk to Stephen Neal, ask him about uh, just, just you know, his thoughts on what would a Stephen Neal-Kyle Snyder matchup look like with Stephen Neal in his prime against Kyle Snyder right now, uh, which would be uh, a lot of fun to think about that, David. Uh, imagine you got a chance to see Stephen Neal when uh, he was making yeah. his run for NCAA and world titles. What, you know, what are your thoughts on that? How, how would you see a matchup like that going <sighs> I haven't listened to the interview yet because I just got in at like 6 o'clock yesterday, but I guess my first thought is Stephen Neal would have a big weight advantage. You know, he's a legit 240, 250, I'm thinking, when he wrestled. Um, it, it, to me, it would seem like a lot of, okay, who's who controls the distance, right? Like Stephen Neal was really, really good in space, and Snyder doesn't shoot that much from space. A lot of his stuff is at least off of short ties. Uh, I mean, I think it's sort of the equal on part there. I don't think a lot of them do that. And I, were you, did you ask the question in terms of folk style or freestyle? I was just asking in general terms, like kind of whichever way he wanted to take it. But, uh, you know, I suppose I know you I, look I, at it I two different ways, right? Seat. Yeah, I know I pay for a front row seat. I think folk style would probably favor Neil just because if even one of them could ride, you know, then that weight becomes a factor. And, and, and Snyder's shown he doesn't – he's not a big fan of – training to get off on bottom, you know, I mean, pretty much doesn't do it. Um, so 
but yeah, those are like those epic dream matches, right? Like, you know, um, they're, they're those guys. I mean, I, when I was visiting with John Smith, I, I don't know if I told you this, but I actually wrestled live with him. Like, I don't know, maybe it was 20 years ago now. And I kind of got suckered into it. I didn't know I was going to work out with him. And this is like maybe, maybe five years after he got done, you know, competing. And you 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 watch guys like that, and I, I was pretty good back in the day. I mean, you know, I, I won my share of stuff. I mean, I wasn't obviously at his level, but I wasn't a bum by any stretch. And I think I went with him for 50 minutes live and got one takedown. <laughs> and and my dad, who never says anything nice when you're getting beat, said to me afterwards, he goes, "You didn't do bad." I go, "I didn't do bad." <laughs> I did. I go. I got beat 400 to one. He goes, you got one. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that kind of puts it in perspective. And, you know, I asked coach, I said, I don't know if you even remember this, but it was very memorable for me. Do you remember this? And he's kind of had a smile, kind of a sly smile on his face. He goes, yeah, I remember. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of us that have been, you know, victims of that, you know, where he is the windshield or the bug. So when you think about guys at that level wrestling each other, and, and and John talked about that. How it, I asked him about how the Jim Jordan match affected him, and I think I don't want to give it away. Like people should, when this comes out, they need to watch it or listen to it. And I'm, I'm sure you guys will will you know put the whole thing up and then maybe put up segments of it about specific subjects and topics. But he's really honest, and it's just it's interesting. You know, you said this last week when we previewed it, just picking a guy's brain that's that smart like that. It's super cool, you know. So. Yeah, the Neo match with with Schneider would be epic. I mean, I guess, you know, if you have a recency bias, you kind of think, okay, Schneider, um, but Stephen Neal's pretty freaking good and obviously super athletic if he could just – he never played football, like, in high school or college, did he? Yeah, yeah, correct. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we th- we talked about that as well in that interview. We ta- you know, I asked him, how, how did you go from not playing football to, you know, in, in – uh, into the NFL with, you know, becoming a three-time Super Bowl champion with the Patriots. He tells a story about how uh, it basically started with, uh, you know, Bruce Baumgartner's heavyweight camp. He was there, kind of got an invite through that, uh, you know, talking to a, uh, uh, a, um, I can't remember if he said a scout or an agent that wanted him to to go uh, try out with the Patriots. And um, so, so he went and did that. And, uh, you know, he talked about being in camp and while he was in camp, he, you know, obviously didn't know much about football, but, but uh, they appreciated his effort. And he said that, um, you know, basically he looked at conditioning drills as his chance to shine. And, and he tried to uh, dominate conditioning drills and there, there weren't uh, a lot of people that, that thought uh, highly of that in terms of teammates, you know, kind of thought he was showing them up or, or whatever, but, sure. uh, uh, but that was his way to, to get noticed and, and uh, get, a, get a chance to uh, uh, come back and be on a practice squad and, and got his foot in the door. And, and that was, that was the key. He, he talks about like all the advantages he had from uh, the standpoint of knowing how to use his hands knowing how to use leverage, uh, balance, uh, stuff like that. And, I, you know, it's, it's really fascinating to hear his take on it, how he transitioned uh, from that to becoming a, a mainstay on a, on a team that won three Super Bowls. So, 
pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, when I was in high school, we had a guy that won state as a junior at 138 pounds, and he went to 145 and won it. Ended up being a Division One All American at Missouri. Greg Warren, he's a stand-up comedian, super funny, cool guy. His senior year, he wanted to play football, and you know, he walking around at 170, and he went out for center, and he started at center, and I was like, "Are you crazy?" And he's like, "These guys don't understand leverage at all." And he goes, you know, obviously I'm not big. He goes, but I can get underneath these guys, and all i got to do is kind of just hold them off for two or three seconds. He goes, if you understand leverage, it's really not as hard as you you would think. I'm like, it sounds really hard. (laughs) But, you know, at his size, but he did it great. I mean, you know, he started the whole year and did a great job for our high school. But that sticks out of my mind because, I mean, he's probably going against guys 100 pounds bigger than him and and handling it. So, yeah, but it's certainly different being able to pull that off in high school versus being able to pull that off in the NFL. So it's, you know, I'll have to go back and listen to that. You know, I mean, I think that's that's the interesting stuff that you're so good at getting out of people that those are just things you wouldn't expect, you know, that the conditioning drills make sense that he had to excel there and also makes sense that the other guys would be ticked off because that's where they're trying to chill, you know. So all of that makes a lot of sense. Well, David, switching gears, uh, you know, the big the big thing on the calendar this past Saturday night uh, in terms of uh, wrestling, after the junior duels ended, uh, all eyes were on Aaron Pico. And uh, yeah. I imagine you had a chance to watch that. A uh, little, little connection in there as well. Yeah. Share your thoughts with what you saw there and, and uh, the connection to uh, to St. Louis and, and what uh, what transpired there in that, that Bellator fight. Well, I'm actually friends with Zach, Zach Freeman, who won. He trains out of a gym here in St. Louis, uh, St. Charles MMA, who the coach is Mike Rogers. Mike used to be one of our assistant coaches at Merrimack for a couple years. He was a Division II All-American at SIU, Edwardsville. Uh, Very, very good coach uh, and very skilled in jiu-jitsu. He's a big dude, but he's a black belt and he doesn't horse guys he's very good and those guys are very good at, at all sorts of guillotine series and, and armbar series and one of the things I think if you've ever done jiu-jitsu and, I, and I've obviously done some is when you get put in those guillotines you think you have to try to back out and that actually makes your neck longer and it makes it easier for the guy to finish and you actually are supposed to go forward and attack the hands depending on the handle that the other guy has uh, Pico just looked really uh, starstruck. He looked like he just wasn't ready. I don't think they've spent enough time with him on his jiu-jitsu. I mean, I certainly think he's a huge prospect, but they made, Zach Freeman made a lot of money for himself, you know, Saturday night. I couldn't be happier for him. He's a super nice kid, um, really respectful, you know, St. Louis high school kid, wrestler. And, you know, I think, you know, they've got him, you know, he's probably going to fight another top 10 guy, fight a top 10 guy next and, and get paid well for that. I actually coached uh, a guy named Rob Washington against him in a fight that was just a barn burner. It was the fight of the year in St. Louis a couple years back. And it, it just shows, it, it just shows you in fighting anything can happen. And there was a bunch of fights like that, you know, where Chandler got his, you know, broke his ankle and then, you know, Mitrione and, Fedor punch each other like Rockham, Sockham robots and knock each other down at the same time. I mean, fighting's crazy. You literally have a puncher's chance. 
I think Pico needs to go back and spend a lot more time on his, on his jiu-jitsu. And, you know, I do wonder if, if anything will happen, like if, if, he'll, if they'll think about, you know, letting him go back into wrestling now, because I think I read his contract would allow him to do that. So uh, just, there's a lot of speculation, but, you know, really, really happy for Zach. I was, I'll be honest with you, I was really surprised, uh, but happy for him. And, you know, I hope Chandler recovers quickly. He wrestles for the Will or wrestled for the Wilhelm Brothers here in Northwest House Springs in St. Louis, and they're awesome dudes. They're awesome coaches. They're my age. We grew up together, wrestled together. You know, Chandler's really the pride of St. Louis. Him and Woodley here in St. Louis in terms of fighting, and uh, definitely the pride of that school. And uh, you know, I mean, he lost fair and square. It was kind of a goofy way to lose, and I'm sure he'll get a a rematch, you know, right away. So. Just a weird night of fighting in Bellator. Like some of the results were kind of crazy how they happened, and um, and you know, and then then Johnny Hendricks misses weight up 15 pounds, still misses weight the next day at the UFC. So kind of just a bizarre weekend of of MMA in in, in that world for sure. Anything else for this week, David? No. If people have time, they should listen to Randy. He was awesome. Um, I'm literally sending you the the John Smith video as we speak, and uh, I'm you know I'm going up to Cleveland in a couple of weeks to to get some stuff ready for nationals, and I think I'm going to talk to the guys up there at St. Edwards High School and uh, Defense Soap. So you know, just kind of doing some things that, you know before we head back into the fall and really focus hard on the on the you know the previews. But this is a fun time of the year to kind of go out of out of my comfort zone a little bit and talk to some different guys. Like I said, I am going to try to get Sammy Julian on and I'm going to try to get Zeke Jones and Dan Gable on all before the, before the season starts. Awesome. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of weighing in with Andy Hamilton and David Mirakitani. David Mirakitani, thank you as always. Thank you. And you can check back to trackwrestling.com for all of the coverage of the junior duels, David's interviews from down there in Tulsa, as well as some of those highlight matches. All the matches are up on track wrestling. And junior European championships going on right now. That's live on track wrestling. So check that out as well. And David and I will be back next week. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.